0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Best known for his work on Ren and Stimpy, Billy West has been making magic with his character voice work since the 1980s starting on the radio in Boston and graduating to the Howard Stern Show. He has voiced the title characters on the Nickelodeon series Doug, as well as Ren and Stimpy, was Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd for the movie Space Jam, is still the red M&M in TV commercials, portrayed Philip J. Fry and several other characters on *Future Futurama, and in 2018 he'll co-star in Matt Groening's newest animated series for Netflix, Disenchantment. So let's get to it! Oh, Billy West, uh, you just,
1: we're at, we're at a coffee and tea place. You just had white peony, peony, white peony. Peony is a flower, but I've also heard that description for male anatomy. Peony, right? And it looks like peony from a peony
0: because uh, it, it's yellowish. <laughs> as a, as a, as someone who relies on your voice for work, what is what is the best tea or beverage?
1: I don't know, I, I never do em- anything special to take care of my voice. As a matter of fact, I had bronchitis over the weekend, and I went and did a gig yesterday, and it was a the characters were heavy on me, um, and I, I don't know how I pulled myself through it, but I could barely talk. And today, much better because I'm on amp- antibiotics, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. I, I just think um, I think I'm going to do the best I can <laughs> here.
0: <laughs> well, some some performers, with comedians, I know that um, when they're when they're physically sick, that actually helps their performance because it makes them focus that much more.
1: It makes me focus on the wrong things, though. though oh. I want to be home in bed where I'm supposed to be
0: <laughs> instead of instead of a <laughs> yes, in, like, coffee totally shop in Venice. Fixated, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Last things first before I ask you all sorts of questions. Oh, I have
1: to ask you guys if you, if you can move along. This is, like, not cool to record here. <laughs> um, if you could just, like, um, there's probably some other place back there. All right, all right. Shove off, will you? <laughs> Jesus. That was a close one. Look at him. Look at him go. He's going to bother someone else.
0: <laughs> what was the first voice that ever came to
1: you? Probably a baby scream. You know. First voice, yeah, know. that would have to be... How old
0: were you when you? Uh, <laughs> how old were you when you discovered your inner child,
1: your inner toddler? I'm still using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a multi-user relationship. You know, I'll I'll drift into being a child a lot when I'm working. You know, because you're supposed to play, right? And um, actors, I don't know. Hitchcock said actors were children. Yeah, I don't know if he said we were puppets also, but that's true. Well, Shakespeare said all the world's a stage. And all the people in it are its players. Yeah. That was in the soliloquy to "Are You Lonesome Tonight" by <laughs> Elvis Presley. You know, some fellow once said, "All the world's a stage, and we're all just players in it." But I leave the world as a hospital, and we're all just patients in it. Oh. You know how they treat patients in a hospital? Give you lots of medication. <laughs> yeah, a lot of dr- a lot of downies and uppies and pennies and Dixies.
0: <laughs> Peanut butter and banana. Uh huh. Before we get uh, too much into the into the weeds, um, I guess the question that people asked me when I said I was going to talk to you was, uh, mm-hmm. is there more Space Jam in our future?
1: Oh. People want to know that. There always is. <laughs> I mean, it's, they've been talking about this for 11 years. Right. I still haven't heard anything. My phones don't ring. You what, know. what about when they did that uh, Nike commercial? Um, the Nike there that was a recent Nike commercial. A for, recent one,
0: for not for Space Jam the movie, but it was like for a sneaker. But they had Space Jam elements to well, it. Well, the thing about the
1: voices on that is that uh, you're a day player when you're doing a copywritten mm-hmm. voice, like a, a character, traditional voice, classic character. Right. And um, they don't just rely on one guy. You know, they'll go with one guy for ten years, and then some other project will come up. Right. And they'll it'll be someone else. Right. Because those weren't. Your copyright Those were Mel No, well, no they were his Best work was done Before any of us were born <laughs> You know I hate to say it
0: I know you, you mentioned the babies The babies cry mm-hmm. What was the first That was a shitty attempt But so, what was
1: But what was the first voice That you Copy wrote God I don't know I I used to I was a freak When I was a kid I used mm-hmm. to Tourette out noises And sounds and voices, you know, I'd be doing screaming Nazis and rocket ships and satellites. And, were you an only child? Uh, for a while. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I, I had two other brothers later. But it was a way to escape the hellish house I lived in, you know, it was just like that's what happens. You 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 just retire into your own world and you rule it and, and nothing else seems to matter. When you were doing that as a child and es-
0: using the voices to escape, were you already then thinking of that could be your career, or was it just something to distract you from life? No, I was just trying to take
1: cover in one way or another every day. I didn't know that all those days would add up to a career, but somehow they did. Um, you know, my dad was uh, a terror, and uh, you know he hated me. and And thing was, is I didn't care the way. I just didn't want him to keep hitting me and all that stuff. So I would just go far away. Come back, you know, when the coast was clear. And this was in Detroit? Yeah. Detroit, Michigan, How did yeah. you how, how did you get to Boston? Was that for college, or...? My mom uh, grew up in Boston, and she took the three boys in 1963 out of Detroit and went to Boston, mm-hmm. where she grew up, and she had family and relatives. In the city, or North Shore, or South Shore? Um, in a town called Roslindale, Massachusetts. Okay. It's near West Roxbury. It's just outside of Boston. Yeah.
0: No, my family's from the North Shore, so
1: North Shore. Yeah, they're from Lynn. Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. You never go out the way you come in. Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. (laughs) The girls say no, but then they give in. Lynn, Lynn, the city. There was all these stupid (laughs) misogynistic jokes and drug jokes, and uh, Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. The water there—it tastes like gin. Lynn. I don't know. I could go on forever.
0: Did Roslindale have any songs or? No, Rosy was just rotten Rosy, you know. Oh yeah, my uh, one of my friends from college uh, it's from Rosy. He just made a short film called Last Night in Rosy. Really? Yeah, Ryan McDonough. Oh, yeah. did he put it
1: up or anything? Uh, it's uh, it's doing the festival circuit oh, in wow. twenty seventeen. That's very funny. Yeah. I mean, to think that the town would be, you know, like. Uh, celebrated in that way. Mm-hmm. I can imagine it's sort of negative. Well, it's a dark short. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good. You're right. It was negative. There's yeah. violence and uh, psychological scars from children. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you, I guess you're not unique. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when was the first time you realized that, that voiceover work could be
1: a career? Uh, I was playing music. I was in bands for a long time, played guitar and sang. And um, my musical career was not going to blow apart, you know, blow up uh, the way I wanted it to. And uh, I got to be a little too old to be shimmying around, you know, my ass on stage. And uh, so I got into radio. And. Um, what was your first radio job? My first radio job was actually at a station called um, uh, MIT Radio. Okay. It was MIT Radio Station, College right, Radio. College radio. And they used to do just little skits and stuff that I would put together. And um, it was kind of fun. But the big game that I wanted was WBCN FM, which was in Boston. And I used to listen. And one day, one of my friends said uh, they're looking for people to do voices, um, you know, on um, the morning show. And so I was like hungover. I called in waiting this guy goes hi you sound like Mel Blanc and I go I was just caught off guard and he hung up Uh and then he then I called back and I'm gonna fix this guy you know when when he picks up the phone I'm gonna gonna lay into him like a bazooka gun (laughs) so I did you know and he goes hi BCN you sound like Mel Blanc and I started in with you know all the voices Mm -hmm. and uh, he goes hold on you know, so, we, so we went out to the studio and told the uh, disc jockey Charles Lockwood era. But this kid, he was a Boston this, legend in radio. Yeah, but this guy that I'm mm-hmm. talking about, that I was trying to get through, mm-hmm. was Eddie Gordetsky. Oh. and Eddie, his name is on every sitcom, every you know, every night I see his name on a plane, I see his name on in the, the air, credits, airplane. Yeah, you know. So he became he became a titan. And you know what? In our own weird ways, we were just kind of like that. We were like. T- You know, kind of at the top of our game with radio. There was nowhere to go beyond that. It had to be television or movies or or some other field, voiceover. Right, because this was before cable TV, really, right? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So there
0: weren't a lot of venues.
1: No. Um, But the thing was, we did really experimental stuff. Nobody else was doing it. It seems corny when when I hearken back to it but uh, but we used to have all kinds of characters that we would put together and they'd be on tape and I just, I developed um, a style that way, like how I approached things and and working with Eddie was like very good for me, you know, he was like a second mentor in a way mm-hmm. you know, there was the morning guy, Charles who uh, wanted me to come in there and then, you know, and then Eddie Eddie was advanced, you know comedically, he, he uh You know, he could just see situations and moving people around like a writer does, you know, and that was his thing. And we would would just get a lot of response from the audience. You know, they really enjoyed it. And that was a good sign, but, you know, radio, after that, there was nowhere to go. I was just going to ask, where do you go from there? Well, I went to
0: New York to do radio. How, How many steps were there in between working with Charles and, and Eddie to working for with Howard Stern? Um, Were there multiple steps
1: or was it a, Eddie, a clean leap? No, Eddie left for Second City TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went to write for David Letterman after that. So he was in New York. Uh, he had courted me a bunch of times. You know, you got to come to New York. you gotta you got to be here. And I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. But then it was like I had enough at the station that I worked at in Boston. I just felt uninspired after a while. So I went to New York, and, and the Stern show was going to take me. And I would call in to this Lucy Lucille Ball dying. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's horrible, but it's funny. Um, he, well, uh, is that
0: how you became friends with uh, Jackie Martling? Well, yeah, that was part of it. <laughs> you were telling me off mic that you're yeah. you're working on a documentary about him. Yeah. with the documentary about him. Yeah,
1: there's so many funny people here. Um, and so... I I said, uh, hey, Howard, you know, Lucy's, like, dying. They're showing all the conveyor belt bonbon scenes and the grape stomping episode. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I said, it's really sad, you know. She's not even dead, and they they got all the clips ready and the music and everything. Oh, sad Lucy music. And uh, he goes, I started doing her, the old her, in front of him while he was having his lunch. I was like, ah, why are you bothering me? (laughs) You know, and he starts potatoes started shooting out of his <laughs> nose, and he was choking to death. And he goes, "Oh, fuck you, Billy West." He said, "I'm going to call you tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to have Gary call you in the morning. Just do that." Right. And so it turned into a whole thing. It's on YouTube still, somehow. Did you get any blowback from that, or uh, yeah, only from this biddy that was um, the local gossip columnist um, for? I think it was the New York Daily News. Okay. Her name was Kay Gardella. Okay, not Cindy Adams over the. Post. No, Cindy, no. Mm-hmm. She was around, right? But it was this Kay Gardella that got her her panties up in a wad over it, you know. And she was like, "Oh, I hope I live to see the day when these, you know, gutter snipes, you know, have their day in the deathbed." <laughs> you know, she was really upset, and uh, but she never called in or anything, okay? Because they would have worked her over. How long did you stay with Stern? Um, and was that how often were you on? I was on. Um, Three days a week mm-hmm. when I officially started, and um, I would go to well, California. Are you officially
0: on contract at that point,
1: or well, or how does that work? I signed a contract, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like it wasn't for a lot of money. It was just um, that it was a move for me. I, I I saw it as a career move. Was he nationally syndicated at um, this point? Not quite yet, but then it started to really pick mm-hmm. up. Um, he um. He was quite different from Boston Radio. I mean, I don't even have to tell you. <laughs> um, they, they play rough in there. Yeah. You know, they play real rough in there, and you had to be on your toes, man. You really had to be like... And uh, it was just... There was so much energy going on in that room in the morning that was like St. Elmo's fire, like going through chairs. and. Okay, so three days,
0: three mornings a week, but you would be in the studio.
1: You wouldn't be calling in. I'd be in the studio. Okay, and that makes a big difference. Then the other days... I would uh, go to California to do um, Ren and Stimpy. That was ninety one. Okay. And um, and I would be doing this kids show, but it was kind of psychotic, and it was it was fun for me. Yeah, I was in college at the time, and yeah, re-
0: we all watched Ren and Stimpy. Oh
1: yeah, Bloody Mary parties. <laughs> um, but anyway, I um, I wanted to do it kind of like uh, full time, and after I had finished recording. Uh, Ren and Stimpy I spent some time Like a little more Than I did But then one day I announced that I had to just Pack up and leave To go to California It was like it, I just took a risk You know Just left everything I had in New York And Was that in,
0: 91, 92? Yeah Yeah And you've
1: been here Ever since? Um Let me think Wait a minute That wasn't 91 That was um 95 I left Okay Um You know Cause there was no money In it for me I mean Howard's an anomaly, um, what's his ass there, uh, Rush Limbaugh, he's an anomaly. You know, there's no big money except for the Sean Hannity's and the Glenn Beck's and all that. Right. And, um, you know, I just uh, I explained, I said, you're the best I've ever seen, really. I mean, it's like watching Larry Bird get the ball or Jeff Beck picking up a guitar to watch you riff and, and to try to analyze what your style is, and I said it was quite thrilling but I have to leave so you know there was no big deal about it um, but I had work that I was going to be doing there were auditions to do in Los Angeles but I came out like kind of it was a little brave you know because I didn't really have any job so Space Jam hadn't happened yet no it was just about it just about started when I moved um, out there for real so that's kind of fortuitous, one of those breaks that you, you move in and then you, and then you get this big gig. Yes. And, um, you know, and I started booking things like crazy. I mean, I was I was doing um, Doug for Nickelodeon. I was doing Ren and Stimpy for Nickelodeon. Um, I was doing... I did Space Jam. And then I started getting all kinds of work. You know, I was the Honey Nut Cheerios B and I was this and that and the other thing. And... Um, you know, it's just like suddenly I went from making no money to, like, you know, vast money for somebody like me. Were you able to handle that transition? Or yeah. was it
0: jarring to... No,
1: it wasn't jarring. It was just... Go um, well, from rags to riches. I think my, my big changes came way earlier than, like, having something like that happen to you. Um, I, I, I'm always going to be the same guy, you know, and I can tell you that because... Um, you know, I know world famous people. I mean, and I've worked with them. If it was all about that stuff, then that's all I'd be talking about. You know, like, right. oh, you should see what he's like in part. And it's not me. You know, I just I'm. I wanted to bring something to the table. I wanted to be flavor of the month, twelve months a year. <laughs> you know, that's all I wanted. Work, and I got it, boy. You got to be careful what you wish for.
0: Was it? Was it one of those things where it just the momentum? builds up
1: and w- once you get work you start getting more work because of that work well if somebody sees something that's generating heat mm-hmm. for lack of a better word um, like who does the voice of that I want yeah I they want to know I want that guy who that is and they want a piece of the DNA right you know it's like uh, like a company you know they're gonna try and hire away the best guys because they want the DNA from something that's successful yeah so um you know, that was the way that went down. Um, it just, people, it was word of mouth. It was like, hey, man, he, he was on this thing that was successful. Wait a minute, was he on how many other things that were successful? Then they want you. Now, when most people
0: uh, picture voiceover artists, they usually picture them alone in a booth. Yeah. So going from being part of the Howard Stern Show, where you're in the studio where all the madness is happening, yes, to then being alone in a booth... Um, how, how different is that as a lifestyle?
1: I didn't mind. I was so open to learn and to grow and to learn where, what the venues of expression were and how to, how to master them. You, mm-hmm. know? Um, you know, like I never cared whether I was in an ensemble group. That's actually better if you're recording with others, like right. doing a show like Futurama. And, um, but I did an awful lot in the booth, like we all do. It was no different for me. It was just the objective was to give that director what or, he wants. Or, Ren and,
0: and Simpy, you're having dialogues with yourself.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I've done that a lot. <laughs> Futurama, Doug, all of them. Uh, yeah, people saying, so you were talking to yourself most of the time. And I right. said, yeah, kind of. But, I mean, that's what you're doing as a kid. Yes. When you're hiding from your dad. That's right. So. I, I don't know. You know, it's just like it could have happened all differently. But I think if you're talented, you know, I mean, talent will out. It's very hard to tell the difference nowadays as to who has talent and who doesn't because most people are wearing the swagger and outfit of success and fame mm-hmm. without really doing anything that would merit that. You know, act, like farting higher than their ass. There's so many performers that think they should be a big deal and they don't really have anything to deliver. You know, so we entered the year of people being famous for being famous. Right, and then
0: after that, now we have the era of, I mean, like we're sitting here in a coffeehouse because the technology allows us to do that. That's right. But it also allows, like, I know people who do voiceover work from their apartment because and do all their auditions from their apartment. I know, and, or make YouTube videos in their apartment. Or
1: sure, well, everybody like, whoa, I can do this. I don't need, I don't need the industry. That's right. But the industry was very elusive when I was younger. You know, there, there was no ATMs. There was like. You know, if you wanted to call somebody, you'd call them up, and if they weren't there, the busy signal would keep ringing, and you hung up, and you're hoping you could catch them (laughs) at some time. There were no answering machines, nothing. (laughs) So you lived isolated. (laughs) And um, I lived in my own little world, luckily, Um, and it wound up to be that I'm doing the exact same crazy things that I used to do. Do you feel like, uh, does the technology,
0: the technological advances help you as well, or do you feel like... You have to keep up with the
1: the new kids in um, in voiceovers. I'm bad at learning curves. I'd rather have somebody engineer me than record myself uh, because there's too much for me to think about while I'm working. You know, when does it shut off or how how close am I because I'm not paying attention. There's too many things for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. I just want it to be set, somebody working it, and hopefully some direction from someone. You know, I, I mean, I, I love directors, and you need them to bring the best out on you, most of the time, if they're good directors, yeah.
0: Who do you uh, who do you talk to for advice in terms of navigating your career a few decades into
1: it? I guess, you know, you, you, you work with your agent, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, the agent that I had, Jeff Danis, at, I still have him at DPN, um, was always open to listen to what I had to say about things, and um, you know, he he was very helpful to me. He put me on to auditions that were kind of something that I could get, rather than something I have no chance of getting. Right. Like you know, I never get hired as a serious announcer because people don't know me for seriousness. You know, they want a guy that can scream and yell. Get him. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> what? Like, what are you auditioning for? Like now? Um, there's a few cartoons that come up, mm-hmm. and it's in the audition stages. But they don't want you to like talk about them, of course. Right, I, but but there are things all the time. But I am working all the time too. I'm doing the, you know M and M's. I did the 7D for Kids Disney, and Futurama was all those episodes. The show They couldn't die. Yeah, really. Lucky me. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot has
0: changed since you know you got involved with morning radio. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's just starting out and wants to know what they should do if they want to pursue this work
1: what's the first thing you tell them get out of college get out of college get out now (laughs) yesterday get out no because there's nothing out there for anybody there really isn't I don't mean to sound callous I mean those are the stats Mm -hmm. there's nothing for you out there there's no giant high paying jobs anymore they don't exist Um, there's no working your way up because they start eyeing you as a wounded animal the older you get and they're looking for any reason to get rid of you. Hmm. And uh, but in show business, that's what I say: get into show business because anybody who can, if you can make costumes or, or create outfits, there's a job in it for you. You don't have to be in the star position. If you cook gourmet meals, there's a job for you. You know what I mean? It's like it includes all walks of life. Plumbers, if you need, get in that business. There's nothing but unions to protect these people and in real life there's no protection. That's why all these middle-aged white guys are like driving their pickup trucks into the front of other people's houses because it's the George Bailey thing, you know, you're worth more dead than alive. Uh. Yeah. And I hate to think of it because I can see the movie, you know. Well, George Bailey, you're worth more dead than alive. Now, don't, don't say that now. Don't, no, don't, don't, no. <laughs> well, this is the part where I go, well, Billy... <laughs>
0: You've had a wonderful life.
1: Kind of. So far, so good. Yeah. It's getting better. Did you see those two girls that came in the front door? <laughs> That's
0: why they say. I mean, it's not a beach day, but we're still near Venice Beach. She was smiling at us. Yeah. You probably. <laughs> I think it was just. I think you found that pitch. Yeah. And That was the one that only that only attractive women can hear. Yes.
1: Ask, ask your doctor. Ask your doctor if bronchitis is right for you. <laughs> Well, Billy
0: West, I, uh, I thank you for, for sitting down with me. My pleasure. I'm glad. You yeah. know, anytime.
1: I'm, I'm glad to hear the real, the real voice of Billy West. Well, we can do an interview like when I'm better. Yeah. And I'll do all these voices for you because there has to be some, you know, nobody particularly cares about my point of view, I don't think. <laughs> you know? And they don't want to hear, most people don't want to hear about a guy that's doing real good. They want to hear about somebody that's struggling.
0: Well, I think there's something to be said, though, about. But there was a struggle. About their, the initial struggle, but then, but how to maintain that when, when there's so many more thousands of people now clawing at you for your stuff?
1: Um, I don't know. I was just um, the ability in, to maintain a career. Yeah. Well, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. That's as mm-hmm. socialist I get. But uh, yeah, we can do this again when I, when I'm not in the middle of a coffee shop because every one of these people in here grew up with my voices. <laughs> Every one of them. I'm the oldest guy here. I'm 65. I don't see any other old geezers around here. Of course. Where am I? Abbot Kinney Avenue and a coffee shop. Yeah, that's a haven for old timers. But if we plug this microphone into a speaker and you let loose, oh God, forget it. <laughs> I I couldn't do an hour. I couldn't do an hour. I I have to do three hours. I'm not. I can't do an hour worth of stuff. Well, then we'll have
0: to. Uh We'll have to cut this short and come back when you're ready. Sure, anytime, Sean. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Last first. This episode of The Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brezel at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com. For more interviews, reviews, and comedy news, become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.